0: Welcome back to Boilers and Beyond. I'm Jordan Jones. We are back here today as we are closing in on 50 days until the kickoff of another season of Boilermaker football, but the storylines across college football have been aplenty this summer. Here on the show today, we will talk the latest on conference realignment as that's been the story of the summer to this point. We'll get into some Purdue football recruiting. Their little hot stretch of commitment seems to have come come to a close. Uh, Their Elite 11 finalist, Ricky Collins, still the top dog in that class. We'll talk a little bit about him, about Elite 11, how he did out there. And we have a number of your questions to answer here on the show. Really looking forward to this. Thank you to everyone who sent in questions. I always welcome them, so if there's something coming up you want answered, send it my way on Twitter, Um, but so much to get to today. Let's jump right in. Speaking of the Twitter, if you don't follow me there already, give it a follow today at BoilersBeyond. We're hanging out there all the time. We're talking Purdue football. We're talking Purdue basketball. All things college athletics, you'll want to follow there for all of the updates in between episodes. And subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, wherever it may be. We're everywhere, and we are going to be coming to you every single week from now until the end of men's basketball season. That is the plan right now. I don't see that changing barring anything unforeseen, so be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss anything. We're recording this here, it is Sunday night, July 10th, a week and a half removed from the bombshell news that changed college athletics history with USC and UCLA going to the Big 10, effective the fall of 2024, and ever since that announcement was made, the question and the focus has always been on what's next. What's the next domino to fall? Because the natural answer has always been super conferences. Even if you go back to the realignment that took place in, I believe it was the summer of 2010, when the Big Ten took Nebraska, when Colorado went to the Pac-10 at the time, when A&M and Missouri went to the SEC, things started to move and that the talk began there that it was going to be four super conferences of 16 teams apiece now we're to two but most of the narrative continues to be that these two are going to grow into the two super conferences being the big Ten and SEC but as of now I think we're staying we're gonna be closed off for a while I don't think anything's real imminent there's plenty of conversation that the Big Ten or SEC need to add team you know team A you know the Big Ten needs to add Oregon and Washington or the SEC needs to add Clemson and Florida State look and I'll focus on the Big Ten here because this is a Purdue show but the same applies to the SEC the Big Ten is not the desperate party here We can speculate all we want about what the Big Ten will do. They don't have to do anything. Everyone out there that isn't in the Big Ten or SEC, their eyes are on those two conferences. Those schools need the Big Ten and SEC far more than those two conferences need anybody. They don't need anybody right now. They're set for some massive... TV payouts. And that's what this is all about. It's all driven by TV. ESPN's going to pay the SEC a boatload of money. Fox is going to pay the Big Ten a boatload of money. So for right now, neither of these conferences need to be desperate. They don't need to add anybody just to flex power. They can be deliberate here. So I think we're going to be done for the summer. You know, the what happens in the future? Who knows? But the rumors now and reports out of the West Coast from some highly connected people are that the remaining 10 schools from the Pac-12, maybe they'll even go back to the Pac-10 name and maybe they'll even become the Pac-8 again and it'll all be like normal. But the remaining 12, excuse me, remaining 10 teams from the Pac-12 may stick together Because it's pretty obvious at this point that the Big Ten doesn't want Oregon and Washington. If the Big Ten wanted Oregon and Washington, they would have scooped them right away. And I don't... One talking point is, oh, well, maybe USC and UCLA would like other West Coast schools to join, you know, to cut down on their travel. If USC and UCLA wanted Oregon and Washington to join... Maybe it would have happened. Maybe it wouldn't have. But it clearly wasn't a deal breaker. It wasn't that important to them. They weren't looking out for the interests of their buddies out west any too much. So, I don't see it happening now. Certainly, the SEC isn't going to get Oregon and Washington. That's just not a cultural fit whatsoever. So, the Big Ten's in no hurry on them. The main school that the Big Ten is sitting here waiting on is right up in South Bend, Notre Dame. I know Purdue fans don't always like hearing that, especially if you are from the, you know, have been around long enough to remember when Purdue and Notre Dame were an annual rival, when the Shillelagh game was played every year. You know, now it's not quite what it used to be. Last year was the first time that they'd played since 2014. But Purdue fans don't always like to hear it, but Notre Dame is a massive brand. They have a massive following. They are absolutely worth taking. They're one of the few schools out there that could get added to the Big Ten and increase the per-school payout from media rights. Notre Dame could do that. Not many others can. The other big one I really see out there is North Carolina. It is a massive brand. That is a growing state. North Carolina, I believe, is now in the top 10 of the United States in population, and it's growing. It is the flagship school of that state. You have plenty of money behind it. Yes, the football program hasn't always been fantastic, but they're competitive to not be a disaster. They're arguably the biggest brand in college basketball, and if not, they're inarguably in the top five. Not that basketball matters, but they're one of the few basketball brands that does at least move the needle slightly. A lot to like about North Carolina. You hear the name Virginia to be connected there. I think that's another one the Big Ten would be interested in. I think they would be kind of dependent on UNC. The Big Ten's not going to go get Virginia unless it can go get North Carolina. I think as you look at the ACC, you look down south, Clemson and Florida State are going to be SEC teams if it ever disbands. The issue with the ACC, as we discussed on the show last week a little bit, that TV deal with ESPN has their grant of rights locked up all the way through 2036, meaning that they don't own their games, essentially. ESPN owns the TV rights to all of their games through that year. Can they get out of it? I don't know. I'm not an attorney, but I think it's awfully ironic that there's a certain attorney from an ACC school that has welcomed any type of lawsuit uh, possible. That would be Mr. John Ruiz from Miami. If... Attorneys want to try to get the ACC's grant of rights ended. Maybe they can. I don't know. That would be the end of that'd be the end of it for the ACC. But I think if the ACC disbands, you know, Clemson and Florida State go to the SEC right away. I think Miami is more in that boat. There's been talk of Miami is more of a Big Ten, just because they're a decent academic school. I don't see it. I don't see Miami settling for the Big Ten. I, In their minds, it would be settling. I think they want to stay down south with those powers. Some of the other ones that you look at, I mean, Duke. I just don't think Duke is enough of a football brand. Georgia Tech is just awful at sports right now. Not that they're an awful athletic program historically, I mean, what, they won the national title in football in 1990. They got to the Final Four in 2004. But in the last decade, ever since Paul Johnson left football especially, I mean, they've just been terrible. They're a great engineering school, and that's fine. But the Big Ten doesn't need them. So I just don't don't see any moves imminent here. Notre Dame is in no hurry to make a move. All reports are right now that they're going to be staying independent for the time being. That's fine. They're the one that the Big Ten will always look at, though, and say, if they want to come, we are taking them. And until that happens, maybe the Big Ten stands pat. You know, you also hear Cal and Stanford. I think that's nonsensical. Maybe I could see taking Stanford if that's what it if that's. You know, your 18th to Notre Dame being the 17th, Cal's a non-starter. Cal Athletics are not good. Cal Athletics don't have some huge fan base, and media markets aren't what they used to be. This is the streaming era. This is an era where about 50% of Americans get their TV streamed. They don't have a traditional cable or satellite package. I know that because this is my day job. I work in TV. Um, it's it's a different era. The cable satellite subscriptions aren't a part of this the way they were back in 2010. Of course, media markets still matter because there's people there. I mean, you want the most, um, you want the highest amount of people to be interested in your conference, but. Going to get Cal and Stanford just to capture San Francisco? That's not what it used to be. This is all about the money. And unless these schools bring enough money to the table to add to the annual per-school revenue, I don't see the Big Ten adding them at this time. Changing the note here, moving into football recruiting a little bit, Produce up to 18 commits in the class of 2023 uh, they've loaded up on wide receivers. They're up to four of those now. Uh, a nice mix of size and speed. I, I like what Purdue's done with receiver here. I know there isn't a real massive name in this recruiting class at wide receiver that Purdue's kind of gotten accustomed to. You know, you look back at 2020, Malik Carr was a big name, Rahman Yasin was a big name. Um, 2019 would have been Milton Wright, I think. 2018, 2019 was Bell and Milton Wright. I'm just trying to think back. Rondale Moore in 2018. There's been plenty of big names. This year doesn't have that four-star as of right now. I think TJ McWilliams uh, out of Indianapolis North Central could be on the rise. He just got an All-American Bowl invite, which is very impressive and you don't see a lot of guys that are three-star recruits getting those, maybe he'll jump up. I like Jerron Tibbs, a big 6'4 receiver from Cathedral, also a basketball player, so I think when he gets more focused on football exclusively, you could see some growth there. You've got a really nice defensive line group, three guys who are all high three-stars on 24-7 sports, Uh, Led by Micah Carter out of the Louisville area. That was a really good pickup. A couple of other good players there as well. Six in-state guys from Indiana. You've got two from Ohio, two from Kentucky, uh, Tennessee, Drake Carlson. You've got a really nice group uh, of players right now. If you look at it from a pure ratings perspective, and of course it's not final. Until the senior seasons are done and 247, Cooper Pategna, and all those guys come out with their final ratings. But as of right now, you're looking at an average player rating kind of right on par with what Purdue has been pulling in during past cycles. Uh, I think that's fine. You know, I am always an opinion that stars matter, as clear as day when you look at who dominates college football. But at the same time, you know, you have to recruit with what you can, with what you can work with. The Midwest isn't as loaded this year. That's something that you just kind of have to deal with. That's your that's your home territory. Been hearing some really good things about Ethan Fields, uh, the offensive line commit. Um, think that could be really big. That could be something that goes well for Purdue. Um, in that realm of increasing that average player rating. They're still out there for a few guys that could be big, but you know, right now the headline in this class is Ricky Collins, the quarterback out of Baton Rouge, just got done competing at Elite 11, and this was going to be the headline of the show last week. Uh, unfortunately, college sports got turned on their head, so we had to pivot a little bit. Push that to this week. Collins is the first Purdue commit to compete at Elite 11 since David Blau did back in 2013. Uh, That had concluded a nice little run. I think Austin Appleby was there, and I think Danny Etling was there too. The ghosts of Daryl Hazel quarterbacks passed. But um, Collins did not finish inside the top 12. Yes, I know there are more than 11 guys at Elite 11. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but (laughs) if you follow it, you kind of understand it. It's just a weird process, but Collins still had a really nice showing. Uh, He drew a lot of notoriety and a lot of eyeballs with his strong showing on day two, especially. That was the pro day uh, where they went through drills that more represent what a player would do at his pro day, and he shined there. I think on three Had him with the third best performance that day. 247 moved him into their top 11 after uh, the day two. This was a loaded Elite 11 group. And that was even without Arch Manning and Nico Iamalava, who's headed to Tennessee, the $8 million quarterback. Um, This was a really good group. Dante Moore headed to Oregon, showed out. Uh, Jackson Arnold, one MVP, who is headed to Oklahoma. Uh, Really good quarterback play here. And I think if you're a Purdue backer, A, you're thrilled with how Collins did. I mean, this is a guy who showed that he belongs on the big stage. And boy, he speaks highly of Purdue. He has not wavered in this commitment to Purdue at all, at least publicly, he had an interview while he was out there with uh, from 247 with Josh Pate and Steve Wiltfong. Man, he was as complimentary as you can be about Purdue and the Brom family and the Brom offense. Talked about the Purdue family as a whole. That comes on the heels of the interview he did with On3 where he had nothing but stellar things to say about Purdue. Now, this is not to sit here in July and say that Purdue doesn't still have to fight to keep him. Oregon and Florida State have offered. I'm not worried about those two. Florida State has an Elite 11 quarterback who did really well out there. Oregon just got five-star quarterback Dante Moore committed. But the biggest competition here is going to be that school in his backyard because they just lost out on Dante Moore. I, they were never really in it with Arch Manning, but they didn't get him. I listen I listen to all sorts of college football stuff, but Blake Rafino's the guy I listen to for LSU stuff, and he thinks they're going to start turning up the pressure on Ricky Collins. The previous staff offered, uh, Ed Orgeron and his staff offered, Brian Kelly had not made him a priority to this point, but you wonder now if he will because... They don't have a quarterback in this class. They did get a really big-time quarterback in last year's class. We'll see what they decide to do. We'll see if Purdue can fend them off if they really come in hard on him. You never know. But right now, with everything Purdue has heard from Ricky Collins and everything that he has said, you have to feel really good about where Purdue is, and you have to feel really good about him as a prospect. Now, Changing gears real quick as well. Just when you thought it was over, more transfer portal news came on Friday afternoon. Running back Samson James entered the transfer portal. What was your favorite Samson James memory at Purdue? Because if it wasn't the spring game this year, you probably don't have one. He transferred to Purdue from Indiana about a year ago. I don't remember if it was July or August last year, but it was late. Never saw the field. Uh, He had to redshirt or sit out all of last year. I believe it was Indiana not signing off on his eligibility because he transferred after the deadline for immediate eligibility. Uh, He participated in spring practice and the spring game, but ultimately his time at Purdue is done. He had some minor success at Indiana. Ironically enough, his best game came against Purdue in 2019 I believe he was a four-star recruit. I know he came out of Avon. The question now is, what would have, what would his role have even been on this year's team? Because if he's transferring, I'm going to guess, I would have guessed to begin with, that King Daru was going to be ahead of him on the depth chart. But it came into more question when Kobe Lewis came from Central Michigan. Uh, Purdue added him. What was that, about a month ago now? Um that really brought into some question how, you know, was Samson James locked in as a number two? Because I don't know that you go get help if you feel really good about your top two. I'm guessing those two, Doru and Lewis, were above him. We've heard about Tyrone Tracy maybe being in the backfield a little bit. Kinda how Jackson Anthrop was used. You know, that could be something that even if it only gets you three to four carries a game, Purdue doesn't run the ball a ton. You have Devin Downing and Devin, excuse me, Dylan Downing, Devin Maccabee. Those guys are both walk-ons. Dylan Downing played some last year. Maccabee had some pretty good reviews based on spring ball. Now, I know spring ball is always hard, especially at running back, because guys get banged up. Guys get some opportunity that normally wouldn't, but... Sounded like he did really well. So you have a little bit of depth there. Kentrell Marks and Terrence Thomas both will be true freshmen at running back this year. I don't know that I anticipate them playing right away, but anything is possible. King Daru did it. There's a fair amount of depth here, though. And at least guys who, you know, you have what? That'd be five, three guys on scholarship. Downing has game experience. And it seems like they like Maccabee. That's five guys you can put back there in addition to two true freshmen. That's some okay depth at running back for a program that doesn't run the ball very much. And it's funny looking back because Tyreek Murphy was a four star running back in the 2020 class, Jaquez Cross was the running back in last year's 2021 class. Uh, they both transferred either after or during their true freshman seasons. Murphy got in some legal trouble, ended up at Rhode Island cross left the team mid year for some personal stuff and ended up back at home at Arkansas state. So this is some decent depth when you've lost your last two recruits there very early as for Samson James, you know, who knows where he goes from here. Uh, It's been since 2020 since he played in a real game. And it's been since 2019 since he's put up some real stats. So, uh, difficult spot here. He's already transferred once and he transferred after the deadline. So, eligibility this fall might be a big question. Be interesting to see what happens there. But him leaving through the transfer portal was some uh, interesting news coming on a late Friday afternoon. Let's get into some Q&A's here. Again, thank you so much to you guys who send these in. I love answering them, uh, whether it's football, whether it's basketball. I know I'm in football mode. You guys always like basketball. So if you have questions, send them in. Twitter, at BoilersBeyond. Just let me know. Uh, First question, on the recruiting track, are there any of these recent football commits that you could see playing right away? It's hard to project that far out, especially when you factor in what the transfer portal is now. Because, you know, in the past, you may look at a guy who comes in at an area where Purdue may be thin. Um, And you would say, boy, you know, he may play right away. Well, now you could see an area where Purdue's really thin. And I don't have the depth chart in front of me. I don't know where Purdue's going to be really depleted after this year, I guess safety would probably be your best answer with Cam Allen and Chris Jefferson both being seniors who are going to start corner maybe as well. But, you know, it's it's hard to tell with the transfer portal because you would take all day a guy who is more of a ready-made starter or at least someone you can plug and play a little bit over relying on a true freshman. I think you'd like to redshirt as many guys as you can this past season. I believe Jack Ansel is the only guy from the 2021 class that didn't redshirt last year. I think everyone else was able to preserve their redshirt. That's a nice thing to be able to do. Uh, we'll see how that continues in the future. If. I mean if you really had to take a guess, I would say Ricky Collins just because he's the highest rated recruit here. But in Jeff Brom's offense, a true freshman, boy, that's a lot that's a lot to put on a true freshman quarterback. This is not an easy system. Uh he has two former four-star recruits ahead of him with Michael Lamo and Brady Allen. Nothing's impossible, but you know, as of right now, I'm not going to say that I think anyone projects as some immediate impact guy but I would look at receiver too there's four of them coming in and there's some measure of unknown at receiver ahead of this year if Purdue doesn't have receivers who really break out and click this year you know Jeff Brom's going to put anyone out there he can to get that offense firing on all cylinders good question though always like talking about that up next Outside of Aiden O'Connell, which players can you see making an All Big Ten team this season? And when I put this together, it was kind of funny to me because I thought back to 2019 when Purdue had a rough year. Purdue went four and eight. Purdue had Elijah Sindelar and Rondale Moore get hurt on the same play uh, four games into the season. They were one and two at that time, anyways, because they collapsed against Nevada in a game that never should have been played. But the positive of that year was a ton of young guys played. I mean, a ton of guys who were either true freshmen or redshirt freshmen. And I think everyone on this list got some run that year that they may not have had the injuries not taken place. So we'll start with the one guy on offense I want to highlight. That's Payne Durham. He is one of the conference's best returning tight ends. He is Purdue's most proven returning pass catcher. Uh, He's the returning leading receiver uh, in terms of receiving yards. I know he's a tight end, not a receiver. But he is your number one option in the pass game right now, as far as I'm concerned. I think he's primed for a really big senior year. I think he's going to have his name on draft boards ahead of next year's NFL draft. What I think is interesting here, I think Payne Durham's going to have a better senior season than Bryson Hopkins did. I think if you're Payne Durham, he may end up, at the end of his career looking back, he may be Purdue's best tight end since Dustin Keller back in the mid to late 2000s. I'll flip to the defense here for four guys. I'll start up front with Branson Dean. He's a big body. He's experienced. He's been getting some love from the preseason preview magazines in this regard. And why not? He was a big part of the defense last year. I am high on the defensive line coming into this year. There are questions, obviously. George Karlaftis isn't there to draw a ton of attention, but Branson Dean has done really nice, really good in the run stopping game. Can get some pressure on the passer as well. He's a nice interior defensive lineman for you. Jalen Graham is my next pick. I, If you were listening to the show last year, you know how much I love Jalen Graham. He was awesome last year. He was finally cast in the right role, playing that true outside linebacker who could go get the passer, who could go play in coverage, who could go play the run game. Just kind of a rover who could do it all. I am hoping he's in that same role this year. I know he's been more grouped in with the safeties. I don't really care where he's grouped in. As long as he's playing in the box and not playing some you know, back center field safety role, as long as he's in the box and going to make plays, he's going to get it done. He is a monster. I love him. I think he's primed for an awesome senior year. A little bit more of a flyer with these last two, but I'll go Corey Trice. I know he's not on the front of your minds because he got hurt in practice after the UConn game last year. Only played two games, but he has elite frame for a corner. I mean, 6'3", 215, what more could you want? UConn game was such a blowout, it didn't matter. But I was watching some highlights from last season the other day, and I'd forgotten... In that Oregon State game, Trice made a massive play in the second half. Oregon State had gone for it on fourth and one. Play action pass, and they throw the ball downfield. Trice chases the receiver down and bats the ball away to force the turnover on downs. That was a game-changing play. That's what he can do. He's got size. He's... Quick enough. He's by no means some speed demon out there, but he's quick enough, as you saw on that play. He's someone who I think is going to have a good year and really deserves to have a good year after his injury last season. Cam Allen, another guy who had a big game against Oregon State with that interception last year, uh, had a couple of picks against Iowa as well. Look, he saw, he's seen action since that true freshman year. Uh, he was a guy who brought a lot of energy to that 2019 team when they needed it. Started the second half of that year, and he's been a solid player for you at safety ever since. By no means is he you know, Ed Reed back there, but he's been very good for Purdue. I think he's going to have another solid year. I think he's going to be the unquestioned leader of that safeties group now that Marvin Grant's gone. You just need him to be solid, keep finding the ball, keep making tackles, making simple plays. He's a guy with a ton of experience, so I'll put him in that conversation. And then an easy one to close out, Charlie Jones. Uh, The transfer from Iowa was the first team All-Big Ten return man last year. Will he do it again? I don't know, maybe. Um, I, I have a hunch that Iowa was a little bit better at blocking on kickoff returns and punt returns than what Purdue will be. But hey, he's done it. I'll still put him in the conversation. The one area I didn't mention here in this group of guys who I think could be all Big Ten is receiver. If Purdue is going to have the type of season that fans are hoping for and that we'll get to with this next question – you need to see a receiver in that grouping, at least at that third-team All-Big Ten level. Who would I bet on? About a healthy Mershon Rice. He's been the star of camp a couple years in a row with a lot of really good things being said about him, and he just hasn't been able to stay healthy. If he can, I think you'll hear a lot about number 9, and I think he'll finally show what all the hype has been about. If he can just stay healthy, you got to feel for him, but I think he can do it. He may be my pick of anyone out of Purdue's receiver group to pop this all-conference list. Again, if he can stay healthy. Next question, and we're dealing with expectations and goals for this Purdue team. Is a Florida bowl game a realistic goal for Purdue this season? So that would mean Purdue either goes to the Citrus Bowl, which is in Orlando. You may have known that as the Capital One Bowl growing up like I did. Or the Tampa Bowl, which you would know as the Outback Bowl, where you either got the Coconut Shrimp or the Bloomin' Onion, depending on which team won. Uh, Gotta love bowl games. I love bowl games. But these are both New Year's games, so yeah, I mean, that would be great. Um... They are the second this year. New Year's Day is on a Sunday. That, of course, means the NFL, but they're your New Year's bowl games. Uh, these are the only Florida bowls with Big Ten affiliation. Past that, of course, you have the Rose Bowl. You have the Guaranteed Rate Bowl out in Phoenix. You've got the Pinstripe Bowl in New York. Quick Lane Bowl up in Detroit, which Purdue. Won both as the Motor City Bowl in 07 and the Little Caesars Pizza Bowl back in 2011. Nashville is going to be out of the question this time around. Uh, Purdue's done that twice in the past four years. So they're going to be Nashville free for a while. Is Florida a realistic goal? Yeah, I think that's a realistic goal. Just because that would put you at an 8-4, and 9-3 and three record. I'll caution that two things, you know, bowl assignments aren't always linear. Look at Purdue's last two trips to Nashville in 2018, a six and six Purdue team that lost to Eastern Michigan went to Nashville in 2021, an eight and four Purdue team goes to the same bowl game. And those two teams were very different as you saw in the way they competed in the Music City Bowl, so bowl game destination is a tough way to judge a season, uh, just because it's you know there's always different ways of selecting teams, fan base and how they travel always matters. Look, the win totals at seven and a half. Anything over that, you should be happy with. I will never ever believe that fans should be disappointed with seven and five at Purdue unless anything changes. Worse than that, yes, you should be disappointed. But you know, for example, if you're eight and four and you're going down to Tampa to play, I don't know, let's say Ole Miss, you should be pretty happy with that. If you're eight and four and you're going out to Phoenix, I don't remember who that what conference that's matched up with, but if you're eight and four and you're going to Phoenix, that's good too. It's just not as appealing of a destination. Instead of the beach. You're playing some desert golf, which in January, that sounds beautiful. A really good question here. I like this one a lot. What do you think the key game is in Purdue's football season? Is there a game that if Purdue loses, it can cause the season to go downhill? And there are multiple games I look at here. Uh, The question noted Syracuse as a potential game and kind of put the caveat that if Purdue loses to Penn State, that would be a big part of that. I'm going to start off with Penn State. Not that Purdue can't lose it. Penn State can't be a game where you look at it comparatively to a Notre Dame or a Wisconsin game from last year, where even though Purdue was kind of a cat with nine lives against... Notre Dame last year and just kept surviving blow after blow, dodging bullet after bullet. You never really felt like Purdue was going to win that game. And with Wisconsin, you know, Purdue was only, I think it was 14 to 13 at halftime or something, but Purdue just didn't look good. You know, they scored 13 points. Six of those came on George Karloftis' fumble return. Purdue just was never in that game. That can't be what Penn State is. Purdue has to at least be I think it's gotta be a game where you go into the fourth quarter and you feel like you can win it. Either you're up or you're, you know, you're down a score and you're feeling good. I think you really have to at least show a high level of competitiveness in that game. I completely agree on Syracuse. If it's a one and two start, you're in a really tough spot. Syracuse runs the ball well. Sean Tucker's a nice running back. You should be able to win that. I don't really know what to expect from them. I've been reading into them. I can't figure out. There's no consensus on them. And then I think the month of October is tough. You know, depending on where you go, I'm not ready to make predictions yet, but I think if you look at the month of October, you start at Minnesota at Maryland. You need to get one of those road wins. I think losing both of those puts a lot of pressure on you heading into those last two games of that month of Nebraska and at Wisconsin because you really don't want to be going to Madison feeling like you need a win because that hasn't gone well for Purdue in the last 18 years, if my math is correct there. Uh, So I think Penn State's critical. Just from a perception standpoint and a confidence standpoint, Syracuse, yes. And the start of October, those are kind of the three areas I would look at is very critical. had a question, Big Ten West related, about the situation with Minnesota because P.J. Fleck got outed right before the conference realignment discussion. A former Minnesota player by the name of Val Martin talked about the worst thing he ever did was go play for Minnesota. Referred to P.J. Fleck as a car salesman. Uh, Talked about how different he is. I don't know that I have some crazy thoughts just because everyone knows P.J. Fleck is kind of weird. He's a weird guy. Uh... Anyone who really builds off of slang, you know, their acronyms, maybe not acronyms as much, but the row, the boat statement, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's corny, but whatever it's worth, it works. I mean, they've been very good. They've gotten better under him. Uh, It's effective. And there are a lot of crazy coaches out there. So. Everyone's going to have good and bad things to say about every coach. I have heard Purdue players who have finished and not had great things to say about Brahm. I have heard Purdue players have excellent things to say about Brahm. Everyone has their own perception of every coach. And a lot of times, the way your career ends up going there, you know, if you play a lot, if you don't, whatever, that's going to frame sorry, my microphone fell there. That's going to frame what you say about coaches. So I'm not looking too much into it other than PJ Flex is kind of an odd guy. Finally, what teams are you looking forward to watching in college football this year and why? number of them. I can't wait for this college football season. It can't get here fast enough. Week zero is circled on my calendar and I cannot wait. But Let's go to the ACC. I think that'll be fascinating because there are a ton of storylines, especially there. I'm excited to see Miami. I am your average guy there. I want to see if the U is back. Cristobal can coach. He can certainly recruit if you see what he's doing right now. Tyler Van Dyke might be the real deal at quarterback there and could be their best quarterback since Ken Dorsey. Is the U back? I want to see that. And then the ACC... Is Clemson going to get back in the playoff picture, or are they out of that top tier kind of for good? I don't know. Dabo's interesting with his thoughts on NIL and the transfer portal. We'll see what that does there, and if DJU can actually have an okay year, or if they go to Cade Klubnik, the five-star true freshman, rather quickly. Closer to home, I think the Michigan schools are both going to be really interesting, Michigan loses those pass rushers. They lose Hassan Haskins. There's not a ton of momentum on the recruiting trail for the maize and blue right now. Interested to see what they do this year with a different looking team, albeit still a lot of talent. And then with Michigan State, you know, how well did they reload in the portal? Because that's how they got to be as good as they were last year was really hitting in the portal. Long-term, they're in great shape. You know, they've got their whole saying that Tuck's coming. He's been coming on the recruiting trail. That's Mel Tucker doing a really good job in the 23 class. How are they going to be this year, though? Arcade McNamara or J.J. McCarthy, whoever they start at Michigan, and Peyton Thorne going to be good enough to compete in the Big Ten East? We'll see. And then finally, I am one of the few folks in the... Purdue fan base I think that really does enjoy SEC football is AM going to maximize their talent or are they going to go you know another eight and four nine and three type season because they're probably going to get rolled by Bama especially with all the Mel Tucker's excuse me with all the Jimbo Fisher Nick Saban drama but how does everything else go can they avoid the losses like they took last year to Mississippi State We'll see what they do there. Going to be very interesting because they have so much talent on their roster. That's all I have for you today. Thank you for spending some time with me. Next week, the countdown to kickoff continues. We're going to take a look back at the first five years of the Braum era because he's the first coach to make it that far since Joe Tiller. And not a lot of Purdue coaches have made it to year six, so... We'll look at, what, at what's happened since he took over in December of 2016, and we'll take a look at those transfer additions because I know they're always hard to keep an eye on. We'll look at those guys that Purdue has brought in ahead of fall camp. Send anything you want my way, anything answered on the show, discussed on next week's show, just send it my way. Do that on Twitter. It's at BoilersBeyond, and be sure to follow if you don't already. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts going to have a ton of stuff coming in the next two months or so. I guess in the next what 53 days from now until kickoff. It's 8 12 p.m. right now as I'm closing up. Uh, that's about what time the ball will be teed up between Purdue and Penn State 53 days to go. We're going to have plenty of stuff. So be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss anything to get you ready. But until next week, take care, guys.